What do you see when you look at your city? What do you see when you look at your church? What do you see when you look at yourself? Do you see nothing but broken piles of junk and rubble? Because when God looks at you, he sees a future and a hope. The Bible tells the story of Nehemiah, a man whose heart broke when he saw the ruined walls of Jerusalem. But in that rubble, he also saw hope. He saw the tools to rebuild. It's time to see our city the way God sees it. It's time to see our churches the way God sees them. It's time to see ourselves the way God sees us. It's time to rebuild. Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Surratt, and uh, I'm one of the pastors here. It's been a while since I've been able to share with you, so I'm glad to be here. Glad you guys are with us as well. And I uh, want to welcome those of you that are joining us on the internet. Uh, we're glad to have you guys as well as the people in the chapel, Columbia campus, and as well as Crossroads Church. Uh, Crossroads Church, I was actually a part of Crossroads Church for about the first six years of my life, and many of you probably weren't there at the time, but uh, those of you that were, if you can think back 25 plus years ago, I was a little towhead. Uh, Dennis the Menace type character that would run around and destroy things at the church. And so I'm glad you guys made it through that era and uh, are, are a part of the Seacoast Extended family right now. We're glad to have you guys along for the ride. How many of you guys would agree with this statement? There's at least one thing going on at your house, one project that's unfinished, not quite done, okay? Wow, a bunch of slackers in this service. <clears throat> I definitely can relate to that feeling. I've got several things that are, that are unfinished. I can think back to, we bought my son a little car that he was able to kind of used with his feet, go up and down the driveway about two years ago. And I got real excited about it, excited to put it together for him, get in the middle of the project and things are going well. And I got to this last little piece and it's a little arm that connects the body of the car to the, the hood of the car. And I just, it didn't quite fit right and I couldn't quite get it in. And so I thought, well, I'll get a different tool. And then I just got distracted, never got back to it. To this day, sometimes he gets in this car, neighbors look at us kind of funny because it's not finished, but he, he tries to ride it right around in it. I, I'm famous for books. Like I will start a book, I'll get real excited about this, this book, I wanna learn a new concept and I'll get into it, I'll read the first couple of chapters and then I'll get distracted and I'll kinda of leave it on a table, never end up finishing. It's kinda of like a Carolina Gamecocks drive yesterday against Florida. <clears throat> Sorry about that, I had, to, I had to go there just a little bit. As a Clemson fan, you know, I can relate. We experienced many of those as well, but just not yesterday. Um, but. But most of us can relate, right, to, to having something unfinished, some kind of a project. And most of the time, we get distracted, we don't focus, and it's not a big deal. I mean, it, it affects ourselves, maybe it affects our kids a little bit, maybe some close, people close to us, but usually it's not the end of the world. Well, we're studying the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was in the middle of a project that, that uh, he had got, got going, and if he didn't finish it, if he became distracted and wasn't able to finish this, this project, it would have been a really big deal, not only for himself, but for the entire nation of Israel. In fact, if Nehemiah didn't complete the job that he started, there would have been several people that probably would have been discouraged. They kind of had their hopes up, got excited about this new wall and this new security of their city, and it wouldn't have happened. Some would have been in despair. I mean, they would have lost hope. They had placed their hope in Nehemiah to get this job done, to make it happen. And, 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 and if he would have failed them, then, then their hopes would have been dashed. They may have had a hard time trusting future leaders. And in fact, for Nehemiah, if he doesn't finish this job, some people would probably lose their life. Some people would probably die because his job was not only just rebuilding a wall, but it was reclaiming the security of a land. 
reclaiming land that had been taken away from Israel. So it was a pretty big deal that he needed to finish. You know, I believe that there are many of us that are here today that there's at least one or two things going on in our lives, projects that God has given us that the stakes are really high on, that if we don't finish them, then it could be big trouble. Some of us have kids in the home. I know I do. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And I've been reminded daily the fact that these kids, raising them to become Christ followers, raising them in a healthy, loving home is is a project that God has given me. And if I get distracted on that, if I fail them in that, then it will have devastating consequences for, for my kids. And, and this, today, you know, in our culture, I know there are many evidences of kids who had parents that just got distracted, lost focus on what God had called them to do, and it's had consequences in their lives. There are probably many of you that, you know, maybe you've started a business or you've got a project going on at work or you're, you're in the middle of something at work and, and it's a pretty big deal and, and you may be at the place where you're bored right now with it or maybe you're, you're kind of getting distracted, you're thinking about other ideas and if you drop the ball or if you take your eye off of completing what God's called you to do, it could have devastating consequences financially for your business, for your coworkers. It could, it could have consequences just for the example that you are to people that, that you love and you may, may, or not re- may or may not relate to to those examples, but every single one of us that's in this place has, has been designed with a purpose. God has gifted us in certain ways and he's designed us intentionally to accomplish a purpose in our lives. And each and every one of us has been called to complete that task. Paul says that we're called to finish the race. And if we drop the ball on carrying the mission that God's given to us, it will have consequences. There may be people that are watching you in your family or friends or loved ones that God has strategically placed you in their lives for a season. Maybe it's to be an encouragement to that person or maybe it's to be a light to that person to show them the glory of God and show them what what living for Christ really looks like. And if we drop the ball in our relationship with God and carrying out our mission, the, the, the consequences could be devastating for other people. You know, I don't know where you are or what position you're placed in, but I really believe that every single one of us has unfinished business and, and at the least, It's just continuing our walk with the Lord and the stakes are high. Well, we're gonna study Nehemiah today. We're in chapter six. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Nehemiah chapter six. And and the good news for Nehemiah is that he does finish the job. In fact, let's look at the Nehemiah six verse 15 and then we're gonna backtrack from there. Here's the culmination of Nehemiah's life. I mean, this is probably the biggest project that he's ever had in his life. And, And here's what he says, he's writing this says in verse 15, so on October 2nd, the wall was finished. I don't know about you, but I would have liked a little bit more detail there. I mean, this is like, this is the biggest thing of your life and that's all you have to say about it. The wall was finished. You can tell a dude wrote that, can't you? I mean, if a woman had written that, it would have read a little bit differently. It would have said something about, you know, that it was a beautiful day on October 2nd and the team worked really well together and they were so gifted and, and it was an awesome celebration. I didn't really love the colors that they chose, but it's okay, it's not my deal. And, and there was a ribbon cutting ceremony and there was a great party afterwards. The Jamesons brought a casserole again, uh, predictable. But you know, they would have gone on and given us some detail, right? I mean, let's just, I'm not hating, I'm just telling the truth. This is a dude. I mean, think about it. I, I'm in a, a season of life where a lot of my friends and family are having babies. And, and if you ask a woman about the baby that was born, you get all the details. Eight pounds, four ounces long, it was 19 inches, blonde hair, blue eyes, and you know, middle name was Sophia, and that's Latin for you know, wisdom. She's gonna be a bright young girl. You know, all this stuff, they kind of give you the details. Don't ask a guy about the baby. It's like, yeah, they, they had a baby. W- was it a boy or a girl? I don't know, they had a baby, <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't really matter at that stage in their life. We'll figure out their name and stuff later on. It's just, 
It's just how it works. And that's what Nehemiah says. He says, yeah, we finished the wall. Uh, and, and he kind of moves on. He says, it took 52 days to build it. That's pretty incredible. You know, it took Nehemiah less time to build the wall than it's gonna take us to talk about him building the wall. Uh, we've been in a series now for six weeks and we're about at the time where he finished this job, but he got it done. So how does he do it? As we kind of look back and, and study this story, uh, we're gonna find that the way that he does it is he, he has this way of remaining focused and staying focused on the project in spite of a lot of different obstacles that the enemy throws against him. So we're gonna study it and, and doing it, we're gonna look at three different focus busters that will kind of sidetrack us from completing any project that's going on in our life. So let's dive in. First thing, if we're gonna get the job done, if we're gonna finish well, we need to stay focused in spite of distractions. Stay focused in spite of distractions. Look at Nehemiah uh, 6, verse one through four. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, and you guys remember those names. These people have shown up already in, in this book. They're people that uh, ha- had an agenda to sidetrack Nehemiah. So these guys found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. What do you think tipped him off that he shouldn't go, right? The plain of Ono? Oh, no, don't. That wasn't funny in any service up to this point. Still trying. Uh, so, so he goes on. <clears throat> but I realized that they were plotting to harm me. So I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Four times they sent the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. So you kind of get the picture. They're close. I mean, the, the, the end is near. He's about to finish this project. And all of a sudden, he, he gets these messages from these guys to come meet with him. And the town of Ono, the village of Ono, is actually like a beachfront property. So it's, a, it's actually a pretty nice place. And they say, hey, come, come talk to us. We, we just want to chat. <coughs> and I was thinking about it. Uh, if it were written today, uh, Nehemiah would have been on the wall, been finishing the project, and it would say, and then Sanballat texted him, right? And then T- Tobiah left him a voicemail, and then somebody else sent him a Facebook message, and then somebody else dinged him on Twitter, and then his Words with Friend app went off, and he had to kind of take care of that, and then, you know, the game was on, big game, Joe wanted to watch it with him. All these things kind of seep in to distract him from doing his job. Would you guys agree it's, it's easy to get distracted these days? I, I mean, I love technology, but technology can be a distraction in our lives, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. You can tell I, I preach with my iPad and I think technology has done so much. I think it's really cool that right now as we kind of have this conversation together in this room, that there are others that are joining us via campuses through technology. There are others that are joining us on the internet. Over a thousand people this weekend will, will watch us with us on the internet. And it's really cool. Uh, last weekend, we had a woman that was watching on her computer and, and Greg led us into a spontaneous baptism. She shuts her computer down and drives to the Long Point campus and gets baptized with the rest of the church. And I think that's cool. I think it's awesome. And we'll continue to look for new ways to connect with people online because it can help us. It's a great tool to extend the gospel. And while it's a great tool, though, I think in some ways technology has, has almost started to change us, change who we are. I mean, who would have thought that 10 years ago, the first thing that you would touch when you woke up in the morning would be what? Your, your cell phone. You know, right? I mean, pick it up and, you know, whether that's your alarm clock. And then I know I love to use my phone. I, I love to read the Bible first thing in the morning. And a lot of times I'll read it on my Bible app on my phone. 
But it's amazing how you open that thing up and there may be a couple notifications or you wanna check out and see what the final score was. And I find myself getting distracted from doing what I was intending to do in the first place. You know, or who would have thought that we would be sitting through dinner and, and you couldn't get through a dinner conversation without the kids playing Angry Birds on their phone or without mom checking her Facebook or dad checking the school. You know, all these things, these things that distract us. And, and technology is a great slave, but it's a terrible master. It's a terrible master. And in some ways in our culture today, we've become mastered by technology. I mean, some of us are so wrapped up in a TV series that, that we don't even realize that maybe our neighbors are hurting struggling, maybe their marriage is falling apart, maybe they're, they're lonely, discouraged, needing help, but we're so, so wrapped up watching a TV show about a couple that's struggling or, or you know, people who are dealing with the same thing that we become numb to what God might be calling us to do and be a part of. So how do we deal with that? I mean, obviously I'm not suggesting that we just get rid of it altogether, it's a great tool, but how do we deal? A couple of ideas. First one is this, periodically turn it off. Periodically learn how to turn it off, whether that's a technology distraction or whether that's a, whatever it might be, distractions that get in our way, we have to learn to periodically turn it off. Look at Luke 5, 16. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why did Jesus need to get away? I think it's because he could hear the voice of the Father much more clearly when he was able to just quiet himself from some of the distractions of his life. This is why we do a fast every year at the beginning of the year, a 21-day fast. If you're a part of Seacoast, it's gonna happen again in January. And part of that is fasting food, but a lot of people will fast some sort of media or some sort of distraction just so that they can hear from God a little bit more clearly. You know, I had the opportunity uh, this past weekend to go on the men's hike. And it's an opportunity that about 60 guys went up on the mountain. And uh, this is not my scene. Let me just tell you, my idea of hiking or camping is typically like the Holiday Inn. You know, I'm not real big into the outdoor scene. I mean, I, I enjoy it, but it's just not, not my scene. So I was a little bit skeptical about it, but it was really cool because we got up on a mountain and literally you put your cell phones in a, a Ziploc bag and put it away. I mean, you have no, no service out there on the mountain. And it was hard at first. I mean, I'd be walking in the first couple of hours. My mind was just full, full of distractions, you know, thinking about, well, I wonder what if the kids need, something happens with the family and they need to get a hold of me or, or I wonder what, how, how things are going with the Gamecocks game against LSU and, um, I'm not going there. I'm just t telling you what thoughts I had. <laughs> or like, uh, what, if, what if some major news story happens and, and, and I'm out of the loop for three full days and it was just like this noise that it took a while. But, but as I got on the trail after a couple of hours, it's amazing how God began to speak clearly and you began to be able to just hear from him in a way that normally we wouldn't be able to because of all the noise. What we would do is someone would hand us a scripture and it would be on one of these little, um, just these little laminated pieces of paper. Like this one says, Psalm 5110. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. And I would take this scripture and then I would, I would hike for about 45 minutes, just no sound, no conversations, just thinking about what God might be wanting to say to me. And, and eventually, it was, it was a little hard at first, but eventually you start hearing, okay, God, what, what parts of my heart, Lord, need to be cleansed right now? What parts of my life are you trying to speak to me on? And, and without a doubt, I heard from God in an incredible way. He spoke to some insecurities and just some things about who I am. And, and I know that about 60 guys went on that hike and most of them, if not all of them, came off the mountain having heard from the Lord because they were able to periodically turn it off, which is a difficult thing to do. What would that look like for you to just periodically turn it off, to quiet yourself? Maybe it's going to the beach, leaving the phone at home, 
for you. Maybe you live near a mountain and it's just getting up on the mountains and just being in the wilderness, being in God's creation where you can maybe hear him a little bit more clearly. I know my wife and I have started doing paddle boarding lately and it's just a great opportunity to get on a board, get out in the river and it's just quiet, it's peaceful. You can kind of hear from the Lord. I just encourage you to look for ways where we can periodically turn off the noise. Second thing that we can do to, to eliminate distraction. Remember, these distractions are trying to sidetrack us from really accomplishing all that God's got for us is to create sacred spaces. Create sacred spaces. Going to the wilderness is kind of like a cleanse. It's good to do every now and then, but within the rhythm of our life, we've got to learn how to create some sacred spaces. Look at Mark 9.30. It says, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there. You know, Jesus, we know he, he was okay with distractions, right? A lot of his ministry happened in what would seem like interruptions or distractions. But he also had the value of creating some sacred spaces, of taking the disciples another direction so no one would know, so that he could just invest in them, pour into them, and, and take some time to really listen to their hearts. And I wonder what it would look like for us to create some sacred spaces. One idea would be a Sabbath. You know, sacred literally means to set apart for worship. And God calls each of us to, to have a Sabbath in our lives, which is this one day where we just, we don't work we don't get too occupied with stuff that needs to be done around the house, but we just take a day and set it apart for the Lord, spend time with him, spend time with our families, create a sacred space. I wonder what it would look like if, if the dinner table in our homes here at Seacoast and at Crossroads was a sacred place. We just said, you know what, for this 30 minutes or for this hour, we're just not gonna bring the cell phone. We're not gonna be distracted. We're gonna take some time to listen to the hearts of our kids. And I know when I do that, and I struggle with this, I'm not, yeah, this is, you know, not a me pointing at you, this isn't all of us are in this thing. It's just hard to figure out. But I know that when I take some time to quiet myself from the distractions, oftentimes I'll get a picture into what's going on in the heart of one of my kids or into the heart of my wife that I wouldn't have heard because I was just so sidetracked with other things, trying to multitask. You can't really multitask raising your kids or multitask loving a significant other. So, so we need to learn to create some sacred spaces. Maybe it's on the way to work. You just turn the radio off and go, God, would you just speak to me today? Would you maybe just help me to be aware of what you're trying to do and accomplish through me, Lord? Help me be aware if you bring somebody into my, my life where uh, you're calling me to invest in them or, or whatever it is, but just to create some sacred space. The truth is the best way not to be distracted is by being attracted to the things that are on the heart of God to be attracted to the things that are on the heart of God. Let me let, it, let you in on a secret, because that can feel kind of difficult. How do I know what's on God's heart? If you have kids in your home, it's on God's heart that they would grow up to love him. And so that should be a pretty big deal in your life as well. If you're married, it's on God's heart, if you're a man, that you would love your wife as Christ loved the church, laying down your life, laying down your intentions for her. If you're a woman, it's, it's on God's heart that you would learn how to love and respect your husband and build him up and be an encourager for, for, for that guy. And so if we become attracted to those things, if, if you're a friend, you know, it's on God's heart that you would encourage, maybe you have a roommate, maybe you live near somebody, maybe you work with somebody who is discouraged or hurting or maybe doesn't know the Lord. It's on God's heart that you would be a light for those people, that you would be a voice of hope to people who have no hope. So we have to learn how to be attracted to those things that are on God's heart that'll help us to minimize the distractions. I remember Nehemiah's reply when they tried to distract him. He says, I am engaged in a great work, I can't come. You know, you're engaged in a great work as well, but we've got to allow God to show us where those opportunities are so that we can, we can eliminate distractions. All right, I'm bored with the distraction one, let's move on. I told you I struggle with that one. But let's move on, second thing we can do. 
uh, if we're going to finish well, if we're going to really accomplish everything God has for us, we've got to be willing to keep working in spite of discouragement. Keep working in spite of discouragement. If the enemy can't get us with distraction, he'll definitely resort to discouragement. Let's go back to Nehemiah, verse 5. It says, the fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. What, what does that mean, open letter? Open letter would be an unsealed letter. Uh, if it was sealed, it would be private. It would be just for Nehemiah. It'd almost be like sending a private Facebook message. An open letter would be like him posting on his wall so anyone can see it. So this is what uh, Sam Ballot's sending it out. This guy, I imagine he's walking, it's open. People go, hey, what's in that letter? Uh, let me show you. This is what it says. It's about Nehemiah. And so here's what it says. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it's true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you've anointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you. Look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report is gonna get back to the king, Nehemiah. So I suggest that you come and talk it over with me. So Nehemiah replies, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making the whole thing up. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. You may wanna circle the word discourage. See, an occupational hazard of doing the work of the ministry, of loving and serving Christ is discouragement. The enemy will always resort to that. And sometimes that, that shows up with uh, slanderous things like it did with Nehemiah. I mean, they were challenging his motives. They were trying to get under his skin to go, hey, you're, you're just trying to build your own kingdom. And that happens to us a lot. In fact, I got this direct message on Twitter the other day. I don't know if you guys have seen these. It said, it said this, it says, hey, this person is writing dreadful posts that are about you. And then it's got a link. And, and if you know the deal with these things, they come in through Facebook or, or Twitter. And, and if you click that link, all of a sudden you become the person sending those direct messages to all your friends. So don't do it. And, and I know that, but what is it about me that needs to click that link? It's like, man, somebody's talking bad. I got it, you know, uh, I know the deal here, but maybe this one's true. Uh, and if someone's talking bad about me, I wanna know about it. Are you guys like that? It's like something about us that struggles there. And I love the way Nehemiah handled it. It's like, so what, big deal. You know, he didn't allow it to discourage him. And I wonder what it is about us. Sometimes it's just curiosity, right? I mean, we just, uh, I wonder what's behind that link. We click it or I wonder what's here and, and maybe it, it sidetracks us. I know there are many of us that, the finish line for you may be sobriety, where God's kind of called you out of a life of addiction and, and curiosity can really un, unravel the pursuit of sobriety. You know, they say curiosity killed the cat, right? Which makes it a good thing, which is, confu I don't understand. <laughs> I'm just kidding, we love kittens. I'm just joking. But it can be curiosity. Sometimes it's insecurity. You know, sometimes it's just insecurity that, that, that allows us to wanna hear what everyone else is saying about us. I know I struggle with that. You know, sometimes our identity is so wrapped up in, in what other people think of us rather than what God's called us to and the mission that he has us on. And so because of our insecurity, we'll, we'll pursue some of these things. Sometimes it's a lack of clarity on our mission. You know, when you're not on mission, you can be susceptible to that kind of thing, to, to discouragement and to just being open to, to, to listening to voices that aren't always telling you the truth. You know, if you look at Nehemiah, he seemed laser focused on the mission that God had for him. He seemed convinced that the Father had a plan for him and a purpose for him. Are you convinced that God has a plan for you and a purpose for you? I encourage you, he does. See, the truth is though, anyone who sets big goals is gonna be criticized. 
It's gonna be slandered by people who set no goals. You can always tell the ones who are pioneers, right? They're the ones with the arrows in the back. You know, you think about who was the most slandered person in history, the most disparaged person, it was Jesus. People always had things to say, but they were always challenging his intentions and his motives. And here's what he said in Luke 6, 22 through 23. He said, blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spurn your name as evil for the sake of the son of man. Be glad in that day. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me sometimes. He says, leap for joy. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way that their fathers used to treat the prophets, or in that same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. See, if we're gonna do anything significant with our lives, we've got to learn to develop thick skin as Christ followers. To know when to listen to, I mean, criticism is not something you just ignore. Sometimes God uses criticism, he does in my life, I know he has in this church, to help us get better. But sometimes you have to learn to develop thick skin. How do you, how do you know? Sometimes check the source. I mean, who is it? For Nehemiah, it was Sanballat and Tobiah. He already knew they had a hidden agenda. You know, we got an email this week from uh, somebody that was attacking somebody at one of our campuses and, and put out some pretty serious accusations. And anytime we get anything like that, we're definitely gonna look into it and, and try to discover what's going on there. And in this particular case, we realized that the, the person who sent the email had been asked to leave several other churches, had kind of a track record of causing division and, and tearing down and, and had a personal beef against the person that, that they sent the, the deal about. And it turns out as we explored the claims, none of them were true. So you gotta consider the source. Don't, don't let the attacks of a critic slow you down from doing what God's called you to do. But then also check your heart. Because sometimes God uses, sometimes, I don't know if you guys know it, sometimes God even uses jerks to, to, to check my heart. And so it may be coming from a, a poor place, but that doesn't mean I can't learn from it and I can't grow from it. So go, Lord, are you trying to show me something in this? Are you trying to show something, something to me? And maybe you ask a loved one, say, hey, could you help me check this? Help me make sure. But discouragement, it's an occupational hazard for any of us who are Christ followers. You know, and some of you, it may be disparagement, but for some of you, it may be this voice in your head that tells you, you, you can't do it. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. I can tell you, man, as, as a man and as a pastor, I deal with that all the time. I deal with the, these voices that want to say, hey, you, you can't do it. Josh, you're, you're gonna fail. If you put yourself out there, you're not gonna make it. And we've got to learn to put horns on that. It's the enemy. He, he's trying to discourage you. He's trying to tear you down. Don't buy in to that lie. So, distraction, discouragement. There's a third thing that, that we can learn in this story and it's that we have to keep moving in spite of fear. Keep moving in spite of fear. And this is so typical of the enemy. I mean, if you remember, the Bible says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood, you know, but, but there are principalities at, at work and, and the enemy is very predictable in some of his tactics. If he can't discourage you, if he can't uh, distract you, then he's gonna try to scare you. Look what happens in Nehemiah. It says, later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah and grandson of Methedabel. By the way, if you don't know how to pronounce something, just say it confidently and quickly and people will think you know. <laughs> so, so these people... Uh, this guy comes and, and uh, or he goes to visit this guy. He was confined to his home. And he said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. So he, he tries to scare him. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they'd be able to accuse and discredit me. 
you're gonna die tonight, Nehemiah, if you don't, if you don't go with me. I mean, that's pretty serious. I don't know about you, but I'd probably pay attention to that at least a little bit. And, and, and they were trying to scare him. They were trying to use fear to get him to cave. And I can't tell you how many times I've hesitated to do something or to take action because of fear. Sometimes it's fear of failure. You know, anytime Greg taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, I, I want you to, to share this weekend with the church, just to be honest with you, there's, there's a little bit of fear in there. Well, what would happen if I mess up in front of 10,000 people? You know, what would happen there? And the enemy likes to kind of get in my head with fear. Sometimes it's a fear of what other people think. Sometimes it's a fear of the future, uncertainty, the unknown. Very rarely is it the fear of harm or death, but occasionally even that'll happen. I remember when, when God began to call Lisa into fighting human trafficking with the A21 campaign, and we met down with a, uh, an agent who worked with the government just to kind of find out more about what was going on with trafficking. And he said, hey, before we get into any of this, I just want you to know what you're getting into. These people are the most dangerous people on the planet. So, so you need to go into it knowing that. And it was, it was a gut check, because Lisa and I had to go home and go, is this really something we should do? But the truth is, as long as there are women being trafficked into sex, then, then fear shouldn't stop us from standing up for them and taking a fight, which hundreds of you guys have joined us in that, which is incredible. But, but fear is a common common tactic. And I love the way that Nehemiah responds. This encourages me so much. Look at what he says in in the message version. Verse 11, he says, why would a man like me run for cover? Why would a man like me run for cover? See, he knew what kind of man he was. If you're a Christ follower, let me remind you what kind of man or woman you are. See, we have, we, we carry a DNA, we carry a heritage we're part of a family and, and it informs us of what kind of men and women we are. And here's what it says in Hebrews. It says, now we do not belong to those who turn back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. One version of that in Hebrews, it says, we are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who cower back in, in, in spite of fear. We, we are, we're warriors, we're people who will fight, who will take a stand when God calls us to, who will, who will be courageous and walk through that fear. You know, I think about Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we carry the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, same power that was at work in in Jesus is is at work in our lives. And Jesus is a man who definitely dealt with distractions and he definitely dealt with discouragement, but he also dealt with fear. I had the chance to go to Israel this past year and it was an incredible trip. I'd encourage you guys, if if that's on your heart, that you take action on that and do it. But but one of the most powerful moments for me is we were in the Mount of Olives. We were standing in what, what they believe is the Garden of Gethsemane. They know it was in that, that general area on the Mount of Olives. And, and it was, if you guys remember the, the Garden of Gethsemane, it's when Jesus went right before he was crucified, right before he was turned over to the authorities. And he agonized over this, this decision. He, he prayed, he said, God, if, if it be your will, please take this cup from me. If there's any other way, Lord, let, let it be. But at the end of the day, he said, Lord, if it's your will, I'll do it, I'll go. And what I didn't realize in just reading that scripture, but I realized it in standing there in that spot, if you look out on the Mount of, Mount of Olives, there's a little valley, uh, and across that valley, probably a couple of miles down across that is Jerusalem, is where he was crucified. It's where he was taken uh, his, his final days. And we were able to walk that walk. But the other thing that, that I didn't realize is that on the Mount of Olives, where he was, he was about a mile or so from the top of that mountain, and on the other side of that mountain was caves, wilderness, so not only was he praying that God would take it from him, he had options. He, he had a way out if he wanted it. He could have taken the disciples up around that mountain and they could have been gone. They could have disappeared. But I don't believe it, I'm thankful that he said, God, your will be done. Even in spite of fear, Lord, give me the courage 
and he went to the cross. And at the end of the day, he said, it's finished. I've done it. See, he knew, he was laser, laser focused on the, the mission that God had for him. And in Jesus' case, it was to take upon the sin of the entire world, to take it to the cross, to finish the work of Christ so that we could be free, so that we could have a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that he had courage to do it. And I'm also thankful that we as men and women of Christ have that same courage, that same ability to stand up in spite of our fears. What about us, Seacoast? Crossroads Church, will we find in us the courage to face our fear? You know, our goal in life is not to safely arrive at death. Sometimes I think we've been tricked, we've been distracted to think that, that the goal in life is just to get to death safely. But that's not our heritage. That's not who we are. You know, we are not of those who shrink back. We are of those who take a stand and who fight. Jesus died a horrific death because he was unwilling to, to waver. And most of the disciples did the same thing. You know, I, I don't deal with this a lot, but I got a text this week from a friend of mine. He's a buddy, he's a pastor in Pakistan. <clears throat> Here's what his text message said. This woke me up uh, early one morning. It said, prayer request. Today at our seminary gate, a man has been killed, which caused a great fear among students. All the shops have been closed and we've been asked to not come out. Please pray. You know, most of us don't deal with that, but this is a friend of mine. In fact, we were together about a month ago <clears throat> and we were sharing kind of with some pastors, some of our fears, and I shared a couple of things that, that I'm stressed about. And then this guy gets up and he says, yeah, um, at the gate of our church, uh, there's a Taliban stronghold and we have to walk past these guys every single day and they look at us and, and he said, I know that one day I'm probably not gonna go home. Uh, so I deal with the fear of death and I'm looking at this guy going, man, are you kidding me? Like, I, I don't live in that world, but, but I'm thankful for men like you that as we worship today freely, without much fear of, of, of attack or of somebody coming after us, these guys daily get up and risk their lives so that they can further the kingdom. And that's the kind of heritage that we have. That's the kind of uh, DNA that we carry as men and women of Christ. So I just wanna encourage you, don't shrink back. Don't let the fear of man stop you from sharing your faith with someone in your life. Don't let the fear of failure stop you from living life that God has called you to. We are warriors. You know, we've been called to put on the full armor of God every single day and go out and take ground, rebuild walls, take ground in our families, in our workplaces, in our places of education, you know, to, to, to take a stand for what God's called us to do and to fight <clears throat> for his kingdom. Let's pray as we close. <clears throat> God, I just thank you so much. I thank you, Lord, that you are such an incredible God. Thank you for the story of Nehemiah. Lord, the example of a man who finished the job that you called him to. And Lord, I wanna be a man who finishes the job that you've called me to. In all of the areas of responsibility, Lord, that are represented in this room, I just pray that you would help us to be men and women who finish well. Men and women who learn how to minimize distractions in our lives, to keep the main thing the main thing. Lord, to keep our priorities in check. Lord, to be men and women who would be willing to stand up in the face of discouragement. Lord, and I know there are many of us here today that, that we've just been believing the lies of the enemy. And Lord, today we just expose him for who he is. He came to, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's the father of lies. And Lord, we choose today not to listen to those lies, but to, to listen to you. You've called us, you've chosen us. You've set us apart for good works, God. And I thank you for that. I pray that we would leave here encouraged today. Lord, those of us that are allowing fear right now to hold us back, Lord, we just give it to you. 
We give you our fears and we ask you to replace it with courage to walk in spite of our fears to accomplish the things that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.